Zambrotta, Scudero, è buona, è buona. Pallone con il Contasini per Nedved, Nedved, Pavel Nedved, una rete stupenda, un passaggio con il Contagini da parte di Zambrotta e per la Juventus sembra essere fatta quando siamo al Hello and welcome to the Managing Madrid podcast. This is your host, Kian Sobani. We are joined here on Sunday afternoon to uh, review a very special game, but actually a very heartbreaking game as well. And we are starting our long series of historical segments, which we'll put out every single weekend uh, as long as we're all basically quarantined and, and avoiding basically any social things unless we absolutely have to. Um, because we are all here on this Management Madrid podcast. We are adhering to the law and what the government and the, and the World Health Organization tells us because that's the way to, to not spread this virus. Um, joining me to review Real Madrid's loss in Turin uh, in 2003 Champions League semifinals is Omar Vin and also Matt Wiltsey. Gentlemen, how are you guys doing? I'm doing all right, I guess. Um I don't, I don't usually leave the house much, so this is not such a huge difference for me. But apparently there are a lot of people in the world really struggling with this. And, you know, apparently some people just have to party and they have to go out. <laughs> Kiana, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I mean, I think uh, <laughs> being able to watch this game kind of helped, helped uh, pass some time a little bit. I would also just um, like to apologize to you both of you and to everybody or anybody that watched this game because of me because it was a lot more brutal than I remembered it. Yeah, um, what the hell? It was pretty <laughs> – it was basically the worst of – it's it's about as bad as it gets from the Galacticos during their peak. Juventus just were, were the better team. It wasn't even close. Now, the first leg, the first leg was a bit different, and Real Madrid played much better, and they won that game – uh, 2-1 they ended up losing this one 3-1 uh, and you know this is interesting because I, I often say that 2003 2002-2003 is the best the Galacticos looked it's a shame they didn't win the Champions League I think if you watch this game in a vacuum and nothing else you would you would absolutely think that that's the most stupid thing that could ever be said because Real Madrid were so bad in this game Um it's just a, a big L all around for everyone on this team, from Guti, Zidane, Figo, Hierro, Cambiaso, Flavio, Conceição. It was just like, it was bad. If this, guys, if you think the Twitter era was around for this, the reaction to this would be what after this game? Big blow up the team? Galacticos are dead? What, what, would, be, what would the reaction be? Yeah, basically that this strategy is stupid, that we need to give up everything, you know, sell Zidane. Self give Figo back to Barcelona, you know, mm. basically what we do after every loss. Yeah, retire Iero, <laughs> sell that would sell be a big one for Figo. sure. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, where do you guys want to start? Um, we can start anywhere. Do you want maybe lineups? Lineups actually, before that, do, maybe we should start with uh, background. Um, all right, Matt, right. do you want to start with any background to lead up before we get to the lineup so we can give context? Uh, Kian, I think you would be probably the best to give us the most context. 
So, I mean, if uh, if you've been listening to this podcast for a long time and you've been tuning into the historical segment since the beginning, we actually did we did a game from this season, at least one game, possibly more that I, I'm I'm not remembering, but uh, we did the three one against Manchester United. Uh, first leg quarterfinals, where Real Madrid won three one at home. I believe Matt, you you were on that one, and I think Gabe was the other one, right? Me, you, me, you, Gabe did that game. Yeah, uh, yeah. and that was a really breathtaking performance. So Real Madrid played really beautiful football. The passing was great. Just like you saw, peak Raúl, peak Zidane, peak Roberto Carlos. Figo was playing at a very high level. Um, and it was just it was just a lot of fun. And and uh, and this is the same season as as that. So I like it's interesting to kind of compare those two those two games and seeing the stark difference I think right off the bat I can I can confidently say Juventus were just a much better team than Manchester United were at the time and I actually think if you um you put this Juventus team now I think it actually would age pretty well like it was the way they defend kind of reminds me of like almost a tenacious Liverpool side who maybe don't necessarily press as high but they're very efficient closing down channels and passing lanes and hounding you and and so good defensively, um, and, and so the context is that you know this was a very this was a Real Madrid team that was for obvious reasons favored to win the Champions League. They always during that era basically were because of the stars on the team. Um, they played good football. They actually were good in the league that year. They actually won the league that year. Um, they were consistently good in the Champions League. Now I think it should be highlighted that I believe this was the season where they actually were nearly knocked out in the group stages. Because uh, this was this at the time the Champions League then was it had two group stages so it had one group stage you'd qualify from and then a second group stage and in the second group stage they were like one second away from being knocked out until Javier Portillo came off the bench and scored like the 95th minute with the last kick of the game to keep Real Madrid alive to get them to the quarterfinals they beat Manchester United there um, and then. They lost, and then they went into the semifinal against a very, very good Juve team. Um, am I missing anything? The only thing I would add about this Juventus team is um, obviously Zidane was a part of this team a couple of years prior, mm-hmm. um, and they had made the Champions League final twice but did not win it. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the first time Zidane won it actually was with Real Madrid, but he had been to the final twice. But that just tells you how good this team was. And uh, Marcello Lippi, who was the... World Cup winning coach uh, with Italy in 2006 was the manager for them, and I just thought it was hilarious. The first uh, uh, first scene you see before the game starts is Marcello Lippi puffing a cigar on the bench. Yeah, I was <laughs> shocked to see that. I, I was like, this would never happen today. Um, well, yeah. Before Om gets to the lineups, one thing else to note about, because you mentioned obviously Zidane played for Juventus a couple years prior. Um, I think Juventus, their, their squad building was about as brilliant as it gets when you're trying to replace a superstar because, you know, it's funny. Like, you compare Barcelona losing Figo to to Juventus losing Zidane. Barcelona used the Figo money to sign Mark Overmars, Emmanuel Petit, Gerard Lopez, and Alfonso Perez. Just a bunch of good to basically not good scrubs who didn't do anything for them. Um I'm not saying they were all terrible players, but that's not—it's not an ideal way to replace a superstar. Juventus used that money to sign three legends: um, Buffon, Nedved, and Turam. 
and and Nedved in many ways was known as like the 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 you know the de facto replacement, and kind of like there were some symbolic symbolic things happening in this game where maybe Nedved would get the better of Zidane in a duel, and it would kind of it felt like a little bit symbolic to me because Nedved, you know, you can't really replace Zidane, but Nedved was you know bang for buck getting Nedved to Ram and Buffon is pretty incredible. So, um, the starting lineup. I, uh, I I imagine, Om, you have a lot to say about this. Uh, I mean, I was just going to read out the starting lineup. Um, I don't know if... Well, just I, I mean, I have... you, were, you and I were talking about like the, the ball-playing center midfielders and how we didn't really oh, have right. any. Yeah. Yeah. That. So, yeah, okay, so I'll read it out and then I'll get to that. So, in goal, obviously, Casillas, um, center backs, Helguera, Hierro, full backs, Roberto Carlos, Michel Salgado... And central midfielders was Flavio Concesao, um and Cambiaso. Then you and then in attacking midfield was Guti, and the wide players was Zidane, Figo, and the striker was Raúl. So that was a four-two-three-one formation. Um, yeah, just just looking at those two being the central midfielders, and then just watching the game they played. You know, I kind of remarked to you, Kian, that it's kind of amazing how Modric and Kroos are just vastly better than almost all yeah. of the central fielders that preceded them in the 21st century. You know, obviously there was Redondo, there was Guti, you know, those those guys were really good on the ball. But then you look at like Concesal, Cambiaso, the Diaras, Granero, and it's like, and I also mentioned Alonso as well. It's like, damn, we really, you know, were and are in a special period of central midfielders, you know, just looking back at recent history. That's a, that's a point that I've tried to hammer home a lot in the past few years that like you know this the fact that we have Kroos and Modric if you look back through history Kroos and Modric together that's the best central midfielder tandem we've ever had and it's not really close um and I mean obviously this game too not that Makaleli is a was a great ball playing midfielder but the fact that they were also missing Makaleli in this game hurt because um it just he he's such a force defensively. He's such a good organizer. He's like a pretty good short passer too. Um, and f- the you know the drop off between him and Flavio is is quite steep. Um, now Cambiaso is like generally I think was a was a good player. He went on to do great things at Inter. Obviously won the treble with Mourinho was a cornerstone, um, and was pretty good with Real Madrid. But had a bad day here. Um, okay, so now we have I. Throwing it out out there again. Where do we start? Where do we start with this? Do we want to read out the Juventus lineup? <laughs> yeah, go for it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so this was a four-four-two diamond, and it's important that you know the listeners remember that because, in my opinion, it was one of the things that helped define the the, the contest in Juventus's favor. So Buffon was the keeper. Kian mentioned you know him being part of this. You the Zidane money being used to buy him. Um, center backs were Montero and Tudor. Um, the fullbacks were Birin, Delhi, and Turam. Um, and then you had in defensive midfield, kind of like the anchor was Takinardi. The two interiors or box-to-box midfielders, kind of however you want to define them, was Edgar Davids, um, Gianluca Zambrota. And then the attacking midfielder was Nedved. And then the two strikers was Trezeguet and Del Piero. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this, I mean, we'll, we'll get to it, but... Various Juventus players had a great game. Del Piero, obviously, being one of them, who scored a couple mm-hmm. goals. Um, what stood out to you as like the biggest surprise, Matt, when you were watching this game? 
Uh, I think the biggest surprise to me was just how Madrid lacked so, like, they had no rhythm in the final third. They had no clear idea of what they wanted to do. They really struggled to get anything going. Like, and I remember going through my notes afterwards and thinking to myself, like, who had a good game? Really, no one, maybe Casillas. That's the only one you could say. Um, but no one, I mean, that's probably what surprised me the most was this. No one really had a good game and that Madrid struggled so much in the final third, which is where you would think, obviously, with Zidane, Figo, Raul out there, you would think that um, there would be more. But honestly, besides maybe a couple times when Figo and Zidane uh, combined and somehow made their way through five players transitioning up the field. Besides that, mm. there really wasn't there really wasn't much. And you know, it's funny. Like you know, Matt, one of the historical matches we did uh, was the two thousand was it two thousand six Clasico? Was that were you guys on that one? I can't remember if both of you or one of you was on it. Yeah, um, that, I was on that one. You were on that one. You remember? Like it was also weird looking on those lineups because. There was actually like four ex Juve players on it, and Turam and Zambrata were on Barcelona for that yep. 2006 Classico, which is really weird to to think about. <clears throat> this was the peak version of both of them, um, and the 06 Classico was far after both of them were good, but are great at least. Um, Zambrata and Turam were so good in this particular game, um, and it was just amazing to see the difference. Like you know, Turam defensively, he was so good. And his dribbling was underrated, probably. Like he was, like he was, a, he was pretty good on the ball. Uh, my first memories of him ever was like the he scored two goals against Croatia in the World Cup. But then, just like it was quickly apparent growing up, like this guy is one of the best defenders of all time. Um, and so, defensively across the board, they were all really good. And um, you mentioned that nobody had a good game, and that that was what shock was shocking to me. Like I didn't remember that. Like literally nobody stepped up in this game. Uh, I just thought I can't think of anyone that was really good either. Even Casillas, like I guess he had a couple of saves. Um, and I don't think you blame him on anything that happens, but there was no one really. Is was there anyone home that stood out to you? Uh, I mean. Maybe it's just because this is the first time I've ever watched this game. Like, I definitely thought Real Madrid were bad. But I thought the second half was an improvement due to the substitutions, which we'll get to. Yeah. And I was I was impressed with Raul Loki just kind of because, you know, he really did some of the things that, like, Benzema does today yeah. that he doesn't get cre- much credit for in the sense that, like, you know, he was he was dropping a lot, you know, dropping deep a lot. Um, I don't know, you know, people who didn't really watch Raul back then or never got a chance to kind of look back at how he how, how he played. I think there's an imagination of him as somewhat of like a poacher or just like just kind of like a pure goal scorer. And Raul was really like an all-round center forward who could do it all. And in this game, like there was definitely, you know, him coming deep to break the lines, receive, kind of play wall passes, try to play one-twos. Like I felt like anything good that was happening was kind of revolving around Raul. Like, he he ended up assisting Zidane's goal with, like, this really nice deep movement and then, like, a ball over the top. Like, that, you know, gave Real Madrid a little bit of hope at the end. So I thought he did, you know, fairly well. Um, but, you know, I would agree just with the general sentiment that no one really stood out. Like, there was no one in that Real Madrid side who I thought played nearly as well as someone like Zambrota did, who I actually thought was the best player in the game, mm. or Nedved, who I think would have been another candidate for man of the match. Well, and Om, to kind of build on your point there about Raul, I think 
and Keen, I want to get your point on this because obviously Raul is your your favorite player ever. But I I envisioned Raul always as kind of like a nine and a half, very similar to Benzema, and that probably a second striker role is his best role. Um, but in the shape that Madrid played in this game, I thought he and Guti sometimes would interchange in that position in the second striker striker role, dropping deeper. But I really felt like Madrid needed someone like a target man, almost like Trezeguet on the other side, someone just to sit on the center backs, be a central focal point that they could hit the ball into, hold it up, allow the team to transition forward, and that way they could actually build something in the final third. I felt like they were just, with Guti and Raul there, I just felt like they were lacking a little bit, just a presence. Well, so it's interesting because... um... So Raul was very versatile too because Raul, sometimes he would play on the left wing, sometimes he'd play as the lone striker, sometimes he'd play uh, behind two strikers, sometimes he'd be a partner to Morientes or Ronaldo. And I, th- and Del Bosque, I think, would... And I agree with you, and, I, and you kind of... And I think what almost also was alluding to it, it got a little bit... I, I don't know, it's getting better is almost kind of generous, but they looked at least maybe a little more dangerous in the second half when Ronaldo came on. And... Ronaldo did not look very sharp in this game. He didn't. He didn't look very mobile to me. But he also he nearly scored twice, um, and earned a p- penalty, obviously. But you know there were. I think in away games, Del Bosque would play it a little bit more safe. He would, because if he played with two up front, it means he had to sacrifice somebody from the midfield, right? Um, and if he does that, he loses control. And I think if you lose more control than you already had in against Juventus in this game, you would have been in trouble. I think Del, Del Bosque probably weighed that. Um, and if you, because you you have to have, there's two locks Zidane and Figo, and normally Makaleli, who who wasn't playing in this game, so that's three. And then you have basically one left for a midfielder, uh, and and Raúl and whoever else. So it, that that midfielder usually would have been McManaman, uh, sometimes Solari, and uh, yeah, it, it was usually one of those one of those two players. <clears throat> and and so so to your point. You know, you had different versions of Raul, and you know he didn't really have that person to maybe play off of in this game. And the interchangeability with Guti is interesting. Also, like yeah, that's one thing I noted about Raul too. Um, like you know, dropping deep into midfield, helping out, linking up, um, which he kind of needed to do in this game. Otherwise, there would have been really no transition. <clears throat> and he was mm-hmm. kind of a ghost until his assist, which was a really beautiful assist. Came out of nowhere. He really spotted Zidane's run well, and Buffon was like furious because it was like a rare moment where Juventus switched off at that point. Um, uh, since we're playing, talking about like Guti, and he kind of throws in, he gets thrown into the discussion about this, and no one really playing well. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm just gonna go out and say it. Uh, I might ruffle some feathers. <laughs> You guys sitting down for this one? You want to sit down for this? Just make sure. I'm sitting here. All right. I think Guti is the most overrated player in Real Madrid history. Oof. Oof. Wow. (laughs) You're ruffling some feathers here. I think he was like... uh, No, so so maybe I'll rephrase it. He wasn't overrated at the time. I think he was quite accurately rated. I think he's become overrated as the years have gone on after his retirement because he, you know... Watching him growing up, we all like kind of knew who he was. He was sometimes great, sometimes good, and sometimes just terrible. Um, 
I'm thinking of that Katusa. Uh, yeah, that was quote. going through my head, but I, you know, I, I think I've said it before on the podcast. I didn't want to, I didn't want to repeat the meme, but like, uh, what? So what we're left with now, years later after his retirement, is the five percent greatness of like the nine minute, ten minute passing compilation, whatever it is. That's all we see now, and because of this, he's turned into this mythical figure. But Matt, how many? Historical segments have we done now? Yeah, we've how many done times quite have a few, we said yeah. Guti was just terrible every time? Yeah, that's true. And but I mean, I think in fairness to Guti, I think his best years were actually when he was a lot older, probably past thir- like thirty and on. I think he probably two thousand six and on. The O eight season. Yeah, O eight was good. That what was that? Did he have? He had one thousand six with Capello. I thought he was incredible. That was to me. That was a standout year. I agree. The Capello yeah. year was great, and he was very needed because that midfield lacked creativity. Um, he had that year earlier in his career where he played as a forward, bunch scored a bunch of goals, and then the year with Ronaldo. Schuster, he was really good too. Yeah, the Schuster years and the year. Did he have one year with Ronaldo or two? Yeah, I, one year. That one year with Ronaldo, I thought he was pretty pretty damn good too. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's what I'm saying when he older i think that's when his best years came but i agree and during the majority of his career i think that it's true that he was probably uh, just way too inconsistent and just didn't impact games i remember there's one point in this game uh where guti like he traps the ball out of the air and then goes to make a, a simple 10 yard pass and it goes out of bounds and then the <laughs> commentator was like guti 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 no yeah, the so commentators funny. were not impressed yeah, <laughs> yeah. Also, I wasn't sure if it was apparent from the broadcast or not, but um, uh, and it was, it's hard to tell because Del Alpi had a big track around it, the stadium, but the atmosphere was really good, and, I, and, uh, and you could only really get a glimpse of it or feel it when the camera cut to the crowd and they were going bananas, and it's like a mosh pit, and it didn't even look like there were seats. It was just like an ocean of people with flags and flares and stuff, and they were going crazy. Um, but it was kind of hard to tell when it was just focused on the field because there's a track around it, and you know I wasn't sure if you guys picked that up or not. But it was a tough place to play in, and I think I don't know if the occasion got to some of them, which is kind of weird to say about players like Zidane and Figo. I don't, you know, I don't think particularly Zidane was particularly bad. I think he he kind of was alone in all this, and he you could see he was frustrated at times. Figo was the one that was just terrible. Um, even like. When Ohm was reading off the starting lineup for Juve, and he mentioned all these names, and like who's the most underwhelming one? Birindelli at left back. He completely had Figo in his pocket the entire time, um, and so I, it's Figo. Figo stood out to me as a player who, who kind of laid an egg in this game. And he missed a pen in like yeah. just one of the worst penalties I've ever seen. Yeah, but she's like he was so reliable with penalties like throughout his entire career, except for that one moment. So I just wonder if the stage got to them at all. What what else stood out to you guys? Well, I think maybe we uh, we we talk about the first goal that Juventus scored because I um, I freeze framed that and really took a look at like what went wrong there. And if you if you do that, my my God, Iero, he just made schoolboy mistakes. Mm-hmm. He was man, so he was man marking Trezeguet in the box. Uh, he then allowed the balls on um, Madrid's left side. So I believe it was Zambrata, or I can't remember who it was who had who was looking to cross the ball in down the right flank. And um, Iero gets caught ball watching, and totally just. Dis- 
starts moving himself towards the ball rather than keeping track of Trezeguet. He never once looks over his back shoulder um, to track Trezeguet's movements or just see where he is. Then the cross comes over, and it finds Neved on the opposite side, leaving Salgado scrambling to try and cover both of Nedved and Trezeguet. Um, when Salgado finally goes to pressure the ball on, on Neved, Neved puts it back across Cole, where Trezeguet is wide open, and Iero never reacts. He doesn't come over to Mark Trezeguet. He, I just, I was shocked. I was like, Iero, what are you doing? And that was just one of many mistakes he made in this game. I think this was probably one of his worst games for Real Madrid. Do you, do you put any blame on Cambiaso there? Cambiaso is the one who I tries think, to close it, but he doesn't get there in time. Yeah. I don't think that's Cambiaso's fault, though. I think Cambiaso is trying to cover for Yero. I think Yero should have been there first, and then Cambiaso would have been providing kind of the double cover, extra pressure. Um, Om, anything on the first goal? Um, I mean, I have, like, all of the goals kind of linked to a larger, like, tactical point. Um, I guess I'll just make it here. Um, I think I, I think Diamond essentially won Juventus this game. I, I think it posed some slight defensive problems for them as well, particularly with the positioning of Nedved when they were trans- transitioning back into that flat 4-4-2. But I, I largely think it was a positive, mainly because, you know, this was this was kind of an era where every team just kind of defended with that 4-4-2, right? That flat 4-4-2. And so Real Madrid were obviously defending with it. And, you know, we were outman in midfield basically all the time every time Juventus had the ball and that goal kind of arrived as kind of like the first organized piece of possession play like and because the first like you know um 10 odd minutes or so was just you know the ball being kicked around super chaotic and then things finally settled down and Juventus had time to say okay you know let's build from the back Let's try to use our, you know, our, our superior numbers and positioning to kind of outmaneuver the defense and kind of see what we can do. So this is why I think Zambrado was so so crucial, because he would either like stretch all the way to the touchline as kind of a right winger or kind of like hide in kind of like move into that channel and kind of oscillate between those two positions, which essentially made him unmarkable. And so this kind of starts off with the switch to Zambrota on the right. Um, from from the center back Tudor, and then Zambrada flicks it back into the center for Takinardi, and the and the first thing you notice is both, you know, Zambrada and Takinardi have all the time in the world to receive because Cambiaso and Concesao, like you know, are occupied with the positioning of Nedved. There's Davids to deal with, and you know, throughout this game, I you know, Zidane didn't exactly have like the greatest defensive work rate either. So, you know, those two were kind of always free, and so when the ball gets flicked back into Takinardi. He has all the time in the world to, you know, punt it upfield to Trezeguet, who then heads it back to the right to, to Nedved, and then the cross comes in. And then, you know, as Matt Woodsy was describing, you know, Hiero doesn't do his best, and eventually they score. And there was, in some way or the other, you know, this type of, like, positioning with Zambrota and his ability to get free and, you know, Real Madrid just basically being unable to kind of figure out who they should mark in what particular circumstance because it would always leave someone else free. It was related to basically every single goal Juventus scored in some way or the other, whether that was like, you know, 30 seconds beforehand leading to an offside that then led to a free kick that Real Madrid gave up. Like, to me, that was kind of the defining element of like, of, of what enabled Juventus to win. And there wasn't really a way for Real Madrid to deal with that. In the second half, in my opinion, was more of a case of them just doing better offensively and doing a little better to exploit Nedved's positioning. But defensively, we just didn't really have an answer for Juventus. And whenever Juventus 
managed to control play and kind of build from the back, we were basically at the mercy of their decision-making and quality. I think also, yeah. like, uh, Hierro, obviously, as, as you guys alluded to, looked so uncomfortable and on, on all three goals, really. Um, the first one, he loses Trezeguet. The, the third one, he just has no chance. Even if you put a jetpack on him, he's still <laughs> his his age and his legs will just will cancel out the jetpack jetpack, and they'll never catch Nevit on that. Yeah, he looked so slow. Yeah, yeah. and uh, but and the second goal, it's like I think that the second goal was just like almost like a hat. Just you tip your hat to Del Piero because yeah, I don't think it's not like Hierro defended it particularly well, but it wasn't like he also gave the the lane completely to Del Piero like. Salgado comes over to help too, and like the the space that Del Piero has to shoot that and get it to the near post pass Casillas is very, very, very slim. Um, and he did it, and it was a great goal. Um, you know, also like from Real's perspective, offensively, the lack of creativity and the lack of ball control was was staggering with the amount of talent they had. Everything was like long range shot basically, which didn't test Buffon at all, and you know. I should have written down the chances, I guess, more properly. But off the top of my head, what were the key ones? Like, if you had an XG plot in this game, what are the ones that stand out? There so was the, in the obviously, first half. Mm-hmm. The first half, it was Guti. Oh, Guti, it was, yeah, was yeah. really our yeah. only, only real chance the first half. And had he controlled that better, it probably would have been like a massive XG, like, you know, spike or whatever, because it would have yeah. been one, one, one versus one. And this was like Raul actually like, kind of like dropping just outside the box. To play that one-two with Figo, and then like the shot comes in, it's deflected. Guti picks it up, and then bad touch goes back to the center, and he kind of has this like awkward right-footed shot that goes straight at Buffon. Like that was yeah. really I everyone think, thought he was offside, and yeah, but he was yeah. actually onside. Yeah. Um, and then Ronaldo? Zidane had yeah Ronaldo too. What was the Zidane one? Can't Zidane had um, one in the second half. Um, I wouldn't say it was a great XG chance, though. I mean, it was a long range shot, right? Just- yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say, what would, oh, what do you think? What do you think was probably like? I'm just thinking overall for this match, maybe factoring in the penalty as well, maybe 3 2 XG to Juventus. Uh, I think, which would have seen Madrid go through Juventus. I think it would have been like more around like 2 1 just because I thought the. Juventus, like, they converted some difficult chances with, like, Del Piero and Nedved, and I think the penalty puts us closer to them. But, like, if you were to, like, just say open play chances, it would probably be, like, you know, I don't know, 1.5, 1.75 to Juventus to, like, 0. 0.3, 0. 0.4 to us. Um, you know, even, like, even though I say we improved in the second half, like, it was more about, like, what we were doing in the middle third and in the final third. It's like it, it always broke down. Um, and I think a large part of that was because, one, you know, it was so hard to cross against this team because Buffon would just come out and claim it every single time. Yeah. And it was just amazing just how ready he was t- to get that. And, like, I love Casillas, and Casillas will always be my GOAT. But it was interesting to watch Casillas' one big mistake in this game was, like, he came out to claim a corner and he completely whiffed it. And that was just something, like, you just never expect Buffon to do. If that was, like, the big difference between them, it was, like, Buffon was really, really good at claiming crosses. And that was maybe an area of, like, 
you know, Casillas' game that was a weakness. And so if you kind of take that out of your arsenal, it's all about creating through the middle, you know, with like, you know, Guti and Raul trying something. And Juventus can just squish their defense to the center. And they were basically intercepting everything. And the only time I think we really broke through was when Cambiasso like slipped Ronaldo in to win the penalty on the throw-in. And so, yeah, it was... It was very, very difficult once you actually got near Juventus's box to have a way to create something despite, like, the players we had. And it didn't help that everyone was kind of a little off form as well. And so, like, yeah, that this game kind of, like, reminded me how good Buffon used to be. Not just, like, in shot-stopping, but just in, you know, what we consider, like, kind of, like, the boring part of it, just coming out and claiming crosses. That completely neutralized, you know, a legitimate way to attack the box. And that, that I think, was an underrated part of of why Juventus were able to go on and win this. It's also just really weird seeing Buffon play at that, you know, at, at that, <laughs> it just, it's just, I guess, weird that we're living in 2020 and he's still around and he's still playing. And these, most of these players are long retired. And uh, even some of the younger ones, like in this game, like, you know, Guti and, uh, and Cambiasso, they're long gone and Buffon is still playing. It's just, it's pretty remarkable. I guess Casillas technically is not retired, so he's still around too. And he, uh, especially in, in that era, Ohm, like, you know, earlier in his career, Casillas, that was definitely, his weakness stood out in crosses, claiming them, catching them, all that stuff. Um, he got better at it, I think, as he got older. And, I mean, talking about crosses as well, I mean, I, there were two things I kind of, um, just from a Zidane, the manager perspective, was thinking about in this match, where obviously Zidane played under Marcello Lippi in that Juventus team, and then obviously Vicente Del Bosque was the manager for Real Madrid. And so I was thinking to myself, uh, we know he he's taking some influences, influences from each. And this Juventus team, I, I was just amazed at how much, and Om, you talked about it, they used the width, and they, got, they just flooded flooded our box with crosses looking to find Trezeguet. Um, and, I mean, it's funny to think about how that's kind of obviously a, a tactic Zidane uses now. And then the role Vicente Del Bosque had uh, Zidane in, which he, he used quite often, was um, that that left attacking mid role or left midfielder role um, where he comes inverted. In, and I didn't – I thought in this particular match, actually, I mean, it, it's a role we see Zidane use with Isco, obviously – but I thought in this particular match, Madrid would have been better off um, having Zidane play Guti's role. Just mm-hmm. someone someone in the center that could control the tempo, move the ball up the field, just make things happen, um, and then have either McManaman or Solari or somebody else on that left wing. But uh, I think that's where Del Bosque maybe got his tactics slightly wrong. Yeah, so I agree 100% because the second half, I think, because because of the substitutions, right? So what happened was Ronaldo comes on, um, but he comes on for Flavio Contessao, if I'm not wrong, which then moves Guti into central midfield. And it brings, because it's a 4-4-2 and you have now two strikers that can like sit in the channels and occupy the fullbacks, Zidane could come deeper and get more involved in play. And that's when I thought Zidane, okay, like, he improved a bit and suddenly our attack became left sided. What really surprised me about this game was in the first half, Zidane barely touched the ball and it was yeah. all just through our right side. It was all going through Figo 
and Figo was having a terrible game, as Keon mentioned. So everything just kept breaking down because Figo would try to take someone on, someone on, poor touch, lose the ball. Or he tried to combine with Guti, you know, and it just didn't really work out. And the one like good moment he had was like when we mentioned when Guti managed to get that shot was when Figo and Raul combined. But it, because it was a, it was a lone striker formation in the beginning. You know, and Zidane really had to do a lot more to kind of stay higher up the pitch and occupy the fullback. I felt he was more out of the game. And then there was also the fact that it was complete, you know, just right-sided build-up the entire time. So that, to me, was the most surprising thing, was just to see Zidane not really being a factor at all in the first half because his teammates weren't looking for him. And I think, like Matt was saying, like, I, I would have much preferred, in the specific context of this game, for Zidane to have played the Guti role. And I think, one, I think Zidane would have done better than Guti. And two, I just think that would have got him a lot more involved in the crucial first half when Juventus essentially went um, 2-0 up and, you know, basically took control of the game. Um, yeah, so I think that was maybe one of the things that Del Bosque just, you know, didn't foresee or kind of got wrong in, high, in hindsight. I think it's also interesting, um, you know, just listening to all that discussion about Del Bosque could have done differently and stuff. Uh, if you're, if we're looking at, so this Del Bosque always, always, almost always uh, was way more conservative with his lineup in the in the in, the, in away games, especially if it was a tough away game. Like I remember against Barcelona and Camp Nou, he would play with five defenders. He would make sure, like you know. He, double pivot like almost always in away games um he was just more like it so for example in the first leg against Juventus he played a diamond he played Makaleli, Figo, Zidane, Guti where Guti was a spearhead and Zidane was on the left like he usually is again under Del Bosque I think it would be interesting to actually watch that game at some point uh and see 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 what that was like but they also in that first leg they also had Ronaldo and Morientes up top because Raul must have been injured. I, I, that's something I didn't remember until I'm looking at the lineups now. Um, in that game, they had a lot of crosses, um, especially Figo just whipping them in, um, and Roberto Carlos on the opposite flank. And I remember something that would they, that would often happen is that Helguera would rush from de- defense and and try to get in on the end of the crosses because he was so good in the air. Sergio and just, Ramos style. Basically, yeah. Um, and this ha- happened with Helguera a lot when he was playing in midfield too, prior years, but then when he was with defense less. Um, but he was still so good at it. And so they would create a lot of chaos with those overloads with Helguera coming in. None of that exists in the second leg. And I and I also like, you know, Om, Om talked about Buffon claiming crosses. I also... You just have, like, Zambrotta was so good, and Turam was so good, and, and Birindelli was good in that in that second leg. And they were able to stop the crosses or at least impede the quality of the crosses and, and what they looked like when they were coming in just because of the way they defended. And and I think that, that made a huge difference, too, in the second leg in particular. Um they were just so good defensively overall, and and David's also like you know this was this was definitely part of his you know peak maybe a little bit past it yeah. but he was he was still so good in organizing that midfield and just making sure they press well and they defend well. I think this was just a really really good UA team and maybe maybe not as star studded but if you look at zoom out on both teams on paper and look at both teams on paper, um, there was a bunch of really really great players on the pitch, a lot of legends. And Juventus just were so good. So good. 
Well, that and that's probably what I like most about these historical matches is we have the context of how these guys' careers plays out. I mean, even that the one we watched, uh, I think it was of this season, the Real Madrid Lazio, or maybe it was the season prior. That was season uh, prior. Yeah, and the, that Lazio team, I mean, they had so many legends on there that were just starting out in their career, like Nesta. And I yeah. mean, it, 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 we were just thinking. I think that was actually God. two years prior, Matt. But yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, Lazio yeah. team, yeah. And I mean, but that's and like in this particular game, you, you you mentioned Davids. I mean, I was so impressed with Edgar Davids. I thought he was really good. He had a couple. I mean, he he did a roulette against Zidane. I mean, that's what Zidane does to everyone else. And so uh, the battle between him and Salgado was actually was fun to watch. And I thought it's it's always funny to me because Salgado it is. Peak Salgado and Pete Carvajal are such similar players. It's so funny. Just stocky, quick Spanish right backs. I mean, I I, I love the way both of them at their peak played. And I think Salgado is probably a little bit underrated. He never really gets talked about during the Galacticos era, but he was just, he was a good soldier for that team. He was good. I, th- I th- he's, he's, to me, he is, uh, He's definitely like in the conversation among Real Madrid's best right backs of all time during his peak. Um, I agree. This Juventus team, by the way, the final everyone really wanted by everyone. I maybe maybe it was just me, but <laughs> it seemed to be that everybody wanted a Milan Real Madrid final because those were the two most star-studded squads at the time. Um, because that Milan team was ridiculous with Maldini and Nesta and Rui Costa, Shevchenko, etc. And Milan ended up beating Juve in the final on penalty shootout, um, which Nedved did not play. And obviously, there's that moment, obviously, um, yeah, where he I was, starts I was crying. wondering when that was going to be brought out. Yeah, yeah. He was, so that was the equivalent, right, of Chabi Alonso. And I, it was such a stupid tackle as well, just like Alonso's. Like, yeah. it was completely unnecessary. End of the game, Juve had it under control. He just, like, slides in and just... Was it McManaman that he, like, that he fouled? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, and it was just, and the second he got that yellow card, you could just see him like pleading with the ref, and like, yeah, that that had to have been a huge factor in Juventus not going on to win that because the the tip of the spear and that diamond is gone, and then yeah. it's like, you know, what do you do? Because he's like kind of the hub of your like team creatively. So yeah, yeah. that to me was just kind of like a, yeah, okay, I can see kind of why the result played it the way it did in the final. Yeah. Um. What did we miss? Um, I mean, we can go many ways. We can talk about the next two goals. Um, we can talk about what we thought about the adjustments Delboski made in the second half. I have certainly some thoughts about that. Um, you know, whatever you want. Let's go. I mean, let's just let's talk about the goals. Okay. We talked about the first goal. We talked about the second goal a little bit. We talked about the third goal a little bit. But <laughs> what did you? So what did you want to? You want to you want to say about the goal specifically? Okay, so just be, just how all of them I think were related essentially in some way to either like the diamond overloads or something that Zambrado was doing. So like in the second goal, it you you kind of have to like rewind a little bit because the the way it happens is like you know it's just a deep free kick that's like you know um or no sorry it's a deep free kick that like or it's a free kick that Zidane like carries up the field and then his pass is intercepted um and then like just blasted you know forward to del piero by tudor i think and then you know del piero does his thing you know kind of like creates some space against hero and scores but there was like 
moments before that that kind of led up to the offside where like Sambrada again moves really wide you know threatens kind of like Roberto Carlos so he has to step up and Turam just like bursts ahead on the overlap Zidane doesn't really track and Turam gets into Real Madrid's half um, and then eventually like it, it leads to an offside and it's just like there were so many moments where Zambrado's positioning was, was so ambiguous to Real Madrid that like you know we didn't know whether like it was supposed to be Gonzalo or Cambiaso who had to move over to pick him up or whether Roberto Carlos needed to move inside and so Zambrado just kept exploiting that all the time um and then, um, if I can find my notes for the third goal for Juventus. The high line. Yeah, so this is again with like, you know, it's, it's, so this is again interplay like with Zambrot on the right, right? Like, so, so Tudor again, who's like, you know, now that I'm realizing it, his ball playing was really crucial in all of this. So he finds Zambrot on the right, you know, they kind of like play one twos to evade Raul. You know, and then Zambrada plays it back to Tudor, and then Tudor just, you know, plays a chip, you know, into Trezeguet, who who juggles it over to Helguera. So Trezeguet's come deep as well. Um, and then, you know, it's back to Zambrada, who then fires a ball over the top. And that's kind of when you see, you know, just how slow Hierro was at the time. And then Nedved just races away and he volleys it into the net. And so I think maybe the third goal was kind of the best example of just how Juventus were able to overload, you know, Real Madrid's midfield. It was, you know, Tudor stepping up to interchange with, you know, play play passes, you know, and, and interplay with Zambrada. And then you had the striker dropping deep. And it was just eventually all the space in the world for, you know, Juventus's best ball players to just kind of like, you know, look up, pick the pass and, you know, pick apart Real Madrid's defense. And then like when you're talking about like, you know, what tactics are and what the manager can do to put talented players in a position to succeed, you know, it's almost all you can ask for, right, is to design, you know, a system that gives your your best players, best technical players, the time and space to look up you know, and pick a pass or pick a shot or, you know, run into space. And so that to me was kind of what impressed me the most about Juventus. And it's kind of like why at that time, I think the diamond was kind of like the like kind of sexy formation for like the intelligent tactician, if if you if you can say it that way, because it was, you know, such an obvious way to create overloads in midfield. And basically the only way managers would defend at the time was the flat 4-4-2. And it was just kind of like, I think, the classic way to kind of deal with that defensive structure. And, and well, well, that's it too, right? Because I think Lippi clearly outclassed Del Bosque in this match. I mean, mm-hmm. what Keon, when we watched that Manchester United game, the reason why Iero looked so good was because Madrid kept a conservative deep line. And so he was never, there was no balls over the top. There was never any foot races. I mean, keeping that suicidal high line going with that type of game plan is an, another reason why Madrid got exploited. Another reason why... Iero looked his age in that match um, and looked like he probably shouldn't be playing for Real Madrid anymore. And I think um, I think it's just a testament to just how good tactically Juventus were. And Del Bosque, I, if, uh, we talked about it, we would have done a few things differently. And another thing I would have done differently is just kept if I was going to play with that back line, kept them deeper and just really played a strong counterattacking game. I think we needed probably a little bit more pacey players you needed Ronaldo out there but that would have been that would have been the game I went with and I think and I think you really could have played a counter-attacking game against this side because and I guess I'll just get into it now because this was like 
the only reason that to me Nedved wasn't man of the match is because I thought he was vulnerable defensively and I thought it was basically the only kink in that structure you know that you know was that that could have been exploited essentially because you know as Kian was saying, Juventus had excellent individual defenders in Thuram and Zambrada, and then you had Buffon claiming the crosses. And, like, Lippi in general, like, you know, he knew how to organize a team defensively, you know, as we saw with Italy in the 2006 World Cup. But because Nedved was really, you know, he was an attacking midfielder, he was a Trek artista, he, he was not super comfortable or disciplined doing what he needed to do defensively. So, like, the idea from what I saw was clearly... You know, after Juventus lose the ball, maybe there's a little bit of pressing, but eventually you, you, you they're going to want to recede into a flat 4-4-2 with Nedved coming into that left central midfield role and, you know, David's, you know, going out into the left midfield role. Yeah, Nedved was often slow to move back into that position or even when he was supposed to, he just kind of stopped as the rest of the midfield retreated. And there was space for, like, someone to drop in behind there and kind of receive the ball. And that was kind of what Raul was doing more of in the second half that I liked and I think, you know, basically helped the team a lot more. And when Guti dropped into central midfield, it helped because Cambiasso and, and Flavio on the day just, just couldn't find those passes. That, I think, if there was more of a concerted effort to kind of exploit that positioning, I think we could have done a little better but, you know, you could have gone the other way with like with what Matt was saying was like really hunkered down and counterattack and counterattack into the space that Nedved was leaving behind. And yeah, either way, I think, um, you know, it was just that one weakness, which we didn't take enough advantage of. Um, and it's basically the only reason I don't feel Nedved was better in the match, because I think you have to take into account like both what you do offensively and defensively and offensively. Nedved was brilliant, but defensively, I thought he was a vulnerability for the team, whereas on both sides of the ball, I thought Zambrotto was brilliant. Um, <clears throat> so many things. Uh, <laughs> uh, Matt said something about... Um, uh, I lost my train of thought, so I'll just mention what's on on, on top of my head right now. Um, Hierro and the kind of looking vulnerable. Oh, you know, part of the reason why... Real Madrid also looked to get good, so good against Manchester City, uh, Manchester United that year, and and Hierro didn't look as nearly as bad, and actually looked pretty good in that game, like at least in terms of reading the game. Uh, Manchester United did not press Real Madrid at all, and Juventus made a, things a lot more difficult for Real Madrid's build up. Where you look at, really, it's not like Real Madrid had many outlets to choose from. Roberto Carlos was resorted to trying these like impossible long distance vertical or diagonal switches or through balls that never found their target um it was just kind of a mess and it's not like it's not like Flavio especially is going to help you in that situation and Zidane sometimes was alone trying to help progress the team uh, one thing that I don't think I don't think has been mentioned yet also Zidane and Figo defensively did not have much responsibility which I think made Everyone suffer. Um, Figo usually, you know, he was pretty good defensively on the flank and would would help Salgado. But in this game, it seemed like both him, both of those two superstars were kind of... Yeah, Turam was just free whenever he wanted to, whenever he got forward. And uh, yeah, exactly. And and part of that, part of the reason is because Zidane and Figo didn't really have defensive duties. They were high yeah. up the pitch constantly, which also created a little bit of a disconnected both defensively and offensively. Um so 
Kiero was more, way more tested, obviously, against Juventus. One thing to point out and one thing to appreciate about, about Sergio Ramos right now. Hierro at this time was 34, I believe. The same age that Sergio Ramos is now, right? Sergio Ramos yeah. is 34. Yeah. Sergio Ramos is 33. Sorry. One year younger. Oh. Uh, but he's turning 34 in like a week. March 30th. Whatever the math is. March. March, uh, March 30th. Yeah. So... They're literally they're both thirty four at this time. At the time the Juventus, they play Juventus semifinal, Ramos would have been thirty four, same age. The difference in their in their fitness is staggering. I so that's just one thing to appreciate about Ramos. Like we often compare the two, obviously because they're defenders, they're Spanish, they've been around, they're icons, they're they're club legends. Ramos is going to play a lot longer than, at a high level, higher level than Hierro ever could imagine. And part of the reason is because, obviously, the physical fitness and the ability to take care of yourself or whatever. Hierro here in this game looks like he's 40. Ramos looks like he's 29 right now. (laughs) So that's one thing to note. Um, I don't remember anything else that anything was said now. You you mentioned counterattacking, I think. Lost my train of thought. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, basically everything I was saying was kind of like centered around, like even in relation to Matt's point was, I think it was, it was centered around Nedved's positioning defensively. I don't know if that was something you guys picked up on or whether you like spotted any other ways that Juventus could be exploited. But like, in my opinion, that was kind of the main one. Um, Cause like, otherwise I just didn't really see that much of a way. Um, I don't know if you caught on to this, but I thought this was a theme that Riamja got lucky on. But Flavia Conceição was a bit lucky not to get sent off. He had that studs up challenge on Davids. Oh, oh yeah, that yeah, was yeah, yeah. really bad. Yeah. Um, and I think he just got a yellow. He got a little bit lucky there. Um, that was early on. Wasn't it, it was pretty early, yeah, first half. Yeah, speaking of things to pick up on, was it like a Zidane free kick in like the eighth minute or sometime really early in the first half? Mm-hmm. It was one hundred percent a handball in the box. Was like, it? On, like. Yeah, when remember. he hit the wall, even the commentator was like, "Yeah, that's like a handball." No, like when they saw the replay, mm. and no one, no one made an appeal. The referee didn't even look at it, and we just went on playing. Like that was one hundred percent a handball. Um, well, yeah, could argue that the penalty kick probably should have been a red card too. Yeah, it wasn't even a yellow card. Right? It wasn't even a yellow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Boske was going crazy, saying, "Where's the card? Where's the card?" <laughs> so VAR in this game would have given Flavio what. Would you agree or disagree? Maybe Flavio a red card, a yellow at least Maybe. for the penalty, and possibly a handball in the free kick. You're saying? Maybe. So that's three yeah, three which, things. Well, I don't know if Figo would have converted the penalty given <laughs> his state on the day, but like it, it could have like changed things a lot. I think Zidane scores that penalty probably. Yeah, you I agree. Think he takes the first one. I don't. I think so. Th- thinking it's Figo was the penalty taker. Like that's and and rightfully so because Figo. Literally, oh right. Okay. Yeah. I think Zidane scores. Right. Yeah. I just think that maybe just given the fact that Zidane, in terms of pressure, feeling pressure, he was never, he never seemed to me the a guy to feel the pressure. I remember just like his penalties with France in the in the Euro you. semifinals, <laughs> top corner, left corner. You know, off the crossbar against Italy in the World Cup, I just feel like he would have scored it. But you know, Figo also rightfully took it. Um, hindsight is easy, but uh, Roberto Carlos had a free kick in the first half. 
that what? was that was sexy. He yeah, that was he nearly was replicated his goal against France, the the famous one, where it kind of just yeah. bends around the uh, wall with the outside of his foot and nearly curls back. It was pretty. Well, I've never I've never seen that before, where a goalkeeper thinks it's completely wide, and then just right at the back. end, he's like, "Oh my god!" He like reacted like really late, and was like, "Oh my god, this might go in." Yeah, not with that <laughs> technique anyway, because yeah. you can if you. If you forgive me for 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 saying it, if you bend it like Beckham, or if you you know if a, you know you take a free kick the way Messi style or 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 someone like that, where you kind of know that it can curl in, this was the outside of the boot. So like, there are a couple of players who have like unorthodox styles. Roberto Carlos has warned them that it was wildly unpredictable because he would just just flame through it with his laces. And it's either going to like hit someone in the stomach in the wall and like and mess up the digestion for digestive system for the rest of their lives because it was a bullet, or it would go into the sky, or it would it would it would just go wide. But every now and then it would he did that outside of the boot thing where it could curl back and it was uh, it was it was interesting to see it. Juninho was the other one where, like, whenever you hit it, you had no idea where it was going. It looked like it would, like, the wind would, like, it, it, there was, like, some kind of almost GPS in it where it would, like, could go anywhere and then come back to the net. It was incredible. But it, he had an unorthodox style that, um, that you know, it worked 1% of the time, if that, and that 1% was spectacular when it went in. Uh, I think that gets to all my notes. But what do you guys have anything else? I have a couple more, but I'll let Matt go because I've been like speaking a lot the last fifteen minutes. <laughs> uh let me take a look here. Oh, well the only other note I had, which is uh just something fun to note, was that Real Madrid were starting a second leg UCL semifinal against Juventus with Two players from there, Cantera as the starting forwards. I mean, you don't. That's very rare. So Raúl and Guti up top. Uh, I just thought that was a cool little note. Yeah. Um, I mean, this whole half there. So Casillas. Well, actually, not that many. Only Casillas. Cambiasso was from their youth system, technically. Uh, Guti and Raúl, yeah. Um. And off the bench, I don't remember. I don't remember if Portillo was in this squad or not. I didn't. I didn't look at the bench yet. Um, uh, let's see. Anything else? No. Okay. Um, so, what else do you have? Yeah. So, I I think I mostly said what I wanted to say about kind of like the changes in the second half. I guess the reason I thought it was, you know, it was better um, was because really Juventus did not really create much until they scored the goal and then kind of like the game was out of our control. And I think part of that just simply might be like, you know, Lippy just being like, all right, let's take it easier. Let's be more secure. But really, I think there was a chance really to get back in the game, which I think kind of like creates this bitter feeling in me, even though I never watched this game live. Um, you know, obviously there was like, the 4-4-2 brought Guti deeper. Zidane could, you know, come deeper as well because Ronaldo would occupy the fullback. And, you know, Raul just more consistently was able to exploit Nedved's positioning. And there were actually some really nice possession sequences. But every time we got to the final third, it was like, you know, a, you know like a bad dribble, misplaced pass, through ball blocked. Um, 
But then there was that period, right? We won the penalty, missed, and then right after that, like five minutes later, uh, or two minutes later, Helguera gets on the end of a corner and he sends the cross like just over. And like that was a moment where Buffon was just kind of frozen. And th- those were like just within the space of a couple minutes. That was our chance to get back in the in the game. And then five minutes later, Juventus score with that amazing Nedved volley. And, you know, it, then it's just, you know, their forwards torturing our defenders before Zidane, like, gets that goal. And, you know, right at the end, I think there's, like, a free kick from Hierro where Raul gets a header on to it, like, in the 95th minute. And it just goes wide of the post. And it's, like, even though we didn't play all that well, there was a sense for me, at least, in the second half that, like, damn, we could have still somehow gone on and won this. Um, so that was, like, just completing that kind of point I was talking about the second half. And the other thing was just with Nedved, I just thought Cambiasso just had a torrid time trying to control Nedved. Like, there were times where Cambiasso was just next to him, and then Nedved would just make this movement to slip away, and, like, Cambiasso would, like, splay on the floor trying to, like, get the interception, miss it, and Nedved's running away with the ball. And I think that's really where, Kian, you were mentioning, like, Makaleli's absence. I think Makaleli even though Juventus have all these midfield overloads, I think he does a much better job of controlling Nedved, you know, making the decisions about who he should mark and who he should go yeah. to to kind of, like, make that Real Madrid midfield more solid. And, like, I think that's part of the reason Kambi also looks so bad when, you know, Kian, you, you rightfully mentioned, like, you know, you can't just use this one game. Kambi also went on to have, like, a good career. He had other good games. But because of the specific circumstances of his game, he had a really, really tough time. And, you know... I don't think it was necessarily the game for him. I think you definitely needed someone like Makaleli, especially if, like, structurally, you know, you weren't going to deal with what Juventus were doing. 100%. And if there's one thing we just didn't emphasize enough on this podcast, I think it was Makaleli's absence. We just mentioned it, but, it, like, really, like, the difference between having Makaleli and not having Makaleli in the Galactico era was profound. It, it just completely, the team just completely looked, different and i think you would notice that if you if you watch other games um without him uh, well, there's I mean, a reason why he's arguably the greatest so at, for sure one of the greatest destroyers in football history like he was a brick wall defensively and was very good in the organizational sense too well i was just gonna say you could argue too that his absence would be just the same today as if we were to lose casemiro think about what that does to our team today um, I think possibly more because yeah, exactly. because he was better defensively, but also and 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 not that good on the ball. But the difference is that Real Madrid now have better defenders in Ramos, Varane, and and also better midfielders. Yeah. And that that time Real Madrid did not have good defenders or midfielders capable of even keeping control of the ball. Agreed. Yeah. So I mean, I mean that puts it in perspective. If you're going into a Champions League semifinal without that type of player, Nedved, by the way, won the Ballon d'Or that year, uh, 2003. Um, I didn't realize that until I looked it up. Um, I had a offensively question. he was a god this game. Yeah, he was really good. I had a question for you guys. Um, obviously, you know, you think back, and the general football world will remember the Galacticos more than this Juventus team. And if you if you were to put one of these teams in the modern era between these two, who would do better? If you put them in a time machine. Ooh, uh, I... So you're just, you're just talking about the specific ones on the field? 
No, yeah, I mean to take their whole squads. I mean, okay, yeah, everyone available. You put them in a time machine. Who has the better chance of like surviving in the modern era? With the same coach? Yes. Yeah. So then I'd have to say Juventus. Yeah. Um, mm. One, I just think like I just don't think in this era of like high pressing, where like even like a bottom feeder team is like, all right, let's have a go. I don't think Flavio Concesao like you know, is really going to be able to handle that. I think Takinardi looked really good on the ball to me. Like, I have to admit, like, I don't know that much about his career, so you guys can correct me. But, like, everyone in that Juventus midfield looked really capable of dealing with pressure. Like, they were just, like, in the third goal, like, you just had Trezeguet just calmly, like, juggling the ball over Helguera before he passed it off to Zambrata. And then Zambrata, like, calmly flicks the ball, like, over the top, just absolutely perfectly into the path of Nedved. Like, there's that. And then I felt like defensively, everyone in that midfield besides Nedved, you know, was, you know, was really good. Um, Like, there was, there was, like, a modern look to kind of what Lippi was doing tactically I think some things would need to be adjusted like one like Juventus didn't really seek to control the game as much I think that would kind of need to change today but I, I can see like the ability for Juventus to make those adjustments more one because of the coach but also like two because of the players they had whereas this Real Madrid side was definitely like a little top heavy and you know in the era of pressing not only just receiving the pressing but like having to press other teams to be more effective like you know if we thought like kind of a mid block was too high of a line for hero you know this old hero i don't necessarily know like how he would deal with like you know standing at the halfway line trying to like counter press and stuff like that so i would say i would say juventus definitely maybe with a different coach i i like del bosque a lot but Definitely, to me, his tactics were very much old school. Yep. And I think the type of tactics he had is kind of becoming outdated in the modern era today, whereas, like, I think Lippi was just a bit closer to, like, the types of things that are being tried right now. Yeah. And I, I to just to add to that, I think you could also, just looking at the player by player, one by one, obviously you have the Zidane, the Raul, the Ronaldo, the Figo. Those guys could transcend any era. Uh, and yes, they would play better in other eras versus up versus maybe a full out pressing scheme like clubs. Um, but I think just player by player, I think Juventus had uh, more more in their squad. I mean, you look at our back line, Yero, Elguera, those guys. There's big question marks there. Uh, you look on the other side. You look at Turam, who's just an absolute beast. Like I, I would go to war with him. I don't. Doesn't matter what era. I mean, he's he's playing, and so um, I think when you kind of analyze it from that perspective as well, you probably lean towards Juventus. Yeah, and I just want to quickly say because like we bashed on Hero a lot, but like younger Hero, I would like definitely take him just because he was he was a ball playing center back ahead of his time. Like this guy got like lots of reps in midfield because he was that that good and that's where like his hundred plus goals come from actually from him playing in midfield like i would definitely take him like you know late 90s real madrid you know early 2000s but you know like like we said this is 34 year old hero who maybe didn't take as much care of his body as ramos did or just didn't have the same physical gifts that like yeah i think that definitely becomes a liability in like you know modern times where like everything is high lines all the time so i think uh a team that would actually do better than this particular one is if you backtrack one year in the, the Real Madrid year before this where you had a slightly younger Hierro but then you had Helguera in midfield with Makaleli and it was just it looked a bit more solid I thought um, 
<clears throat> this team had a little bit of a higher offensive ceiling because OG Ronaldo could also, I mean, you, you saw what you did this same season, the hat trick at Old Trafford. Um, he was kind of in and out of the team. I mean, he wasn't 100% healthy in this game. In the first leg, he missed half of it because of injury. Um, so that made a difference too. Um, there was one more thing. One more thing. I can buy you time. Sure. Um, I just wanted to ask who you guys thought was man of the match. I said really early on that I thought it was Zambrata, but I thought there was a good argument for Nedved. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys had like drastically different opinions. Obviously, Del Piero like played really well, and then there was Buffon. I think the Del Piero, Del Piero gets has to. To me, it would be Del Piero because his two yeah. goals okay. were, you know, well, I don't think Real Madrid defended brilliantly. I thought he it was kind of a moment where he put the team on his back and showed his greatness. Wait, didn't didn't Trezeguet get the first goal? Sorry, though? you're it right. Yeah, like... Trezeguet did get yeah, the first okay. goal. Yeah, yeah. My bad. I, I thought Trezeguet was really good as well. Yeah. Uh, but no, for me yeah. it was it was Del Piero too. I just that that yeah. second goal blew me away. I was just like the skill and I, the whole game. I thought he was really really good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So there was there was like five potential men in the match candidates in this one. Mm. Um, all right. Well, I don't remember what I was going to say, but, uh, you know, I, it just some more of a general point. Uh, I have no idea how long this Corona thing is going to go on. Um, I doubt un- unless one of the people on this podcast is an expert on this issue. Um, uh, I don't think any of us know when this is going to end and how long we're going to be kind of staying at home for or whatever, or trying our best to stay home, depending on where you live. Uh, which means, we're going to do a lot of his history stuff. So our plan is to watch a Real Madrid game, different Real Madrid game every weekend and put it out for free on the RSS feed. And uh, we're also going to continue doing other shows midweek for our patrons. So this Tuesday, Matt, Sam, Chris, and Ruben and I are going to do a fantasy Castilla draft where we're going to pick from the pool of Castilla and Loney's and and go around and pick our 11s, five different teams, and we're going to stack them up against each other. It's going to be a fantasy draft. We're going to do it live uh, for the show. And then uh, on Thursday, the Thursday mailbags with Lucas and I are going to continue. We have some other special guests lined up during this, this weird time. And also, we had another idea. Actually, we'll just we'll mention it later next episode because Om doesn't know about it, and he's going to be a part of it. Um, so we're going to, oh, gonna, really? yeah, we're going to okay. do a bunch of things. And, and, uh, so the, if you want, uh, if you want to be part of the, the patron stuff, make sure you go over to patreon.com slash managing Madrid for access to those bonus shows. And I'm sure you're going to be wanting to listen to podcasts, um, because what else are you going to do? It's either this or Netflix or FIFA and this, what, you know, listening to our podcast, you get a little bit more value, I think. Um, especially once you factor in Matt's expertise and and Ohm's tactical monologues, and I don't know, I don't know, I don't bring much to the tale, but uh, the others will uh, will make up for it. Um, and then uh, the free on the free RSS feed, which is the one you're listening to now, we'll do the historical games. So every week a different game, every week in a different game. So stay tuned for that, gentlemen. Are you ready for patron shoutouts? Yeah, let's go. All right, shout out to these $10 plus patrons who get a specific shout out on the podcast. Mikhail Nilsson, Frederick Sundros, John Fernandez, Said Mahad, Balaccio, Adam Dorsey, Frederick Rantakiro, Leon Stavronakis, 
Christian Gonzalez, Bjorn Salvador, Essa Hariri, Ilian Zako, Yahya Ibrahim, Willie Reed, Nick Ribeiro, Eric Rogers, Tyler S- Simon, Sad Omar, Oluwapamimo, Oladonjoy, Christian Toft, Charles Williams, Tarek Sphere, Kunal Tilakar, Marin Myrtle, Tyler Dixon, Raul Gutierrez, Raghav Potlori, Jeff Thurston, Gary Kohut, Peña Maridisa, San Francisco Bay Area, Brandon Stevens, Casper Moscala, Catherine Fagundo, Zoran Bosnichich, Rafael Servia, Karen Scherer, Sumanshu Singh, Brennan Powers, Nelson Mazariego, Umair Mahadi, Rovi Tagiev, Anthony Armesto, Shabazz Sharapov, Varun, Bernard Kufour, Ashik Bashar, AMB6901, Faisal Hamdan, Alex Perez, Muxith Thangal, Sergio Arispe, Graham Gerard, Basil Adil, Matin Baron, Kevin Rivera, Michael Kruchon, Zafar Chaudhuri, Keith Lissenby, Hassan Chaudhuri, Adrian Holland Anderson, Ishmael Montaser, Magnus Lex, Jason Fitz, Solomon Ortiz, Fabian Moreno, Daniel Smith, and Philip Hammer. Thank you guys so much for your support. You guys are awesome. List is ever growing. Hope you guys enjoy the next series of podcasts um, while uh, you're you're at home mostly or whatever you're doing. Uh, and please, everybody, stay safe. And please, 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 please wash your hands. And thank you so much. And Hala Madrid. Hala Madrid. Hala Madrid. Hala Madrid.